page 119 of the Church Bibles. So Leviticus 16, verse 15 to 22. Sorry, my voice. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. And then verse 32 to 34. priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He is to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place, for the tent of meeting and the altar, and for the priests and all the members of the community. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites, and it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. Uh, Thanks, Sam. Yeah, working. Uh, Morning again. Uh, Let me uh, pray before we begin. Uh, Just to say, uh, chapter 16 is all about the Day of Atonement. uh, And we're going to think about a few things. We're going to think about uh, what it was for. Uh, why it was required. Uh, So we're going to go through some of the detail, uh, but don't switch off because towards the end we're going to think about what is the challenge for us today and what is the joy for us today uh, related to the Day of Atonement. So let me pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Even these ancient passages that uh, speak uh, of an ancient people and your covenant and relationship with them. We thank you that they are valuable and important and beneficial for us. So as we think about this passage today, we pray you'd speak to us by your word and spirit so that we may know you better, glorify you more, and enjoy your love forever through Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Uh, Well, what is the Day of Atonement? Uh, Well, in ancient Israel, this was uh, perhaps the most important day of the year. But why? Uh, You're going to need your Bibles open. We're going all over chapter 16, uh, and uh, we're going to start at verse 34. This is why it's so important. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites, And it was done, as the Lord 
commanded Moses. This is the day that all the sin of Israel is atoned for. What is atonement? What, it, what is this day for? It's called the Day of Atonement. We find that out later on in Leviticus. It's not actually named by that name in this chapter, but it is its name. Uh, well, number one, there is atonement for sin. Uh, in other words, there is a price to pay uh, for our sin before God. And atonement means that two parties can be one again because the price is paid. The, the wrath or the judgment that is owed, the punishment, is put upon something else so that two parties can dwell together. So uh, verse 9, for example, Aaron, he's the high priest in this chapter, shall bring the goat, there's two goats, but this is the first one, whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. In other words, God's wrath and just anger at the sin of the people is averted through the sacrifice of a goat. Their sin is paid for. A substitution is made. That's literally what's going on here. Uh, Whose blood is shed instead of the people's before God. So that's number one, atonement for sin. Secondly, though, there is atonement for defilement. Uh, So atonement can also mean, as well as paying a price, it it can also mean to make something clean or pure before God because uh, the people by nature are defiled, they're unclean, and or they have sinned, uh, and so they make themselves unclean. They belong to a fallen world. They are unclean. They, They need to be cleansed, made pure before God. And so even anything they would touch as being, when they were unclean, would make the object or the items or the area unclean. And so all of that culminates in a situation where God's holiness cannot be present with them or in those places. As people, they're morally uh, imperfect and unacceptable before the glory of God. And you see lots of this cleansing going on through this chapter, this sort of atonement cleansing. So verses 18 to 19 uh, says this, Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord, uh, this is still talking of Aaron the high priest, and make atonement for it. So they've, they've been near the altar, and so that needs to be atoned for as well. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. So atonement for sin, atonement for defilement. Uh, thirdly, though, the Day of Atonement is a promise of life in God's holy presence. This is the day that responds to chapter 10, if you were here for that. Uh, where, if you remember, the, the priests, Aaron's uh, sons, the priests, Nadab and Abihu, die instantly because of their indifference to God's commands and his holiness. So have a look at verse 1. This is how the chapter is introduced. Uh, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, who died when they approached the Lord. Uh, What we learn is that to approach God in all of his holiness is only achievable through absolute obedience to his commands. And that's what those two guys did not do. And then what's plain in chapter 10 when they die is that that is not going to be an easy task for a human being to achieve. Uh, if a, if the, even the priests who are consecrated by God uh, have regular and easy access to the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God, 
uh, they're going to make sinful mistakes and die. And so verse 2 of our chapter, uh, which is a response to that problem, the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron, the high priest, that he is not to come whenever, whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain uh, in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die, for I will appear in a cloud over the atonement cover. Even the high priest consecrated is now not able to approach the holy God in his holy of holies the most holy place they cannot pass through the thick curtain that uh, Craig was talking about a minute ago that separates the people from the ark of God which represents the very presence of God with his people in the tent of meeting Uh, The ark contains the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses, uh, and it is literally representing the place where God's holiness dwells for the people of God. And so after the deaths of Nadab and Abihu, uh, access to the presence of God becomes very limited. It's one day a year, uh, this day, the Day of Atonement, very strict conditions, very carefully to be obeyed. The holiness of God is too dangerous for humanity to have free access to. For we will die in the presence of the holiness of God. It it consumes like a fire the sinfulness of humanity. He is so majestic, so awesome, so glorious uh, that we could only dream of being in his wonderful presence. It's just not a reality for humanity. And so this day is carefully designed So that very limited, restricted access, one day a year, the people of God, through one person, the high priest, could enter the presence of the Most Holy and cleanse for their sin. Now the world around us, uh, as we listen to that, will tell us that you're actually a very, very wonderful person. You're you're very uh, special and and you can be whoever you want to be and, and that's all okay. Well, however wonderful you are, before a holy God... It's not even close to being wonderful enough. So great and holy is he, so magnificent is his glory, that if we approach him in our common state, we will die. So the Day of Atonement, uh, while that all sounds very deathly, is actually an offer of having a glimpse of entering the holiness of God. It's very limited. It's only one high priest, but he can enter and stay alive. It's like a a promise of presence with God and staying alive. And so you read verse 3. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must. When you get the instructions of the chapter. The, The unthinkable can happen just on this one day, just this once. The unapproachable God, because he is holy, is approachable, and the high priest will live. That's the contrast set up on the Day of Atonement. We're probably quite foolish, aren't we, when we take access to God just for granted. Uh, Fourthly then, what is the Day of Atonement for? It's for the atonement of sin, it's for the atonement of defilement, it's a promise of life in the presence of God, Or fourthly, sin is taken away. 
Uh, normally, the offerings all involve blood sacrifices. We saw that in chapter 1 to 7. And on this day, the Day of Atonement, uh, it's no different. Uh, the high priest brings a bull for his own sins. The blood is shed. He brings a goat, and that, uh, the blood of the goat is shed to cleanse the sins of the people. But once a year, on this Day of Atonement, something else happens that is visually and illustratively very powerful. There is a second goat. And that goat is to be spared sacrifice, and instead, the high priest does this. Have a look at verses 21, and we had it read to us, but let me read it again. The high priest is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all the sins to a remote place and the man shall release it into the wilderness. You kind of feel the relief and the guilt lift, don't you? As all of your sin is figuratively put upon the goat and off it walks. Never to be seen again. Sins forgotten. They're taken outside the city walls, far away to a remote place, and even then released away from the man, uh, so your sins have gone. Away, says the Day of Atonement. Uh, The Day of Atonement is a big deal for the Israelites. But you might be sat there going, well, you're saying all this, but... Wasn't that what all the offerings of chapter 1 to 7 were about? Uh, Atonement for sin, cleansing from defilement, uh, making us right so God could dwell amongst his people. So why is the Day of Atonement required? Well, uh, I think there's a couple of reasons. Uh, Firstly, the Day of Atonement reminds the people that human-brought animal offerings or animal blood are not enough to atone. It's just not enough. Part of the point of this day is to show the people that even their approach to God with offerings and sacrifices for atonement in chapters 1 to 7 is not perfect. Even what they are doing needs atoning for in bringing their offerings. So as they enter the tent of meeting, they bring their normal offerings and they approach, but they approach as unclean. So the very tent of meeting where they have brought their offerings to, the altar is all exposed to their uncleanness. And so this is the day when all that defilement that has been brought to the tent of meeting through their right and proper sacrifices is cleaned away itself. It's like the annual spring clean of defilement from the tent of meeting. Uh, that's why no one can even be in the presence or the, it, within the tent of meeting during this whole procedure. Have a look at verse 17. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron, the high priest, goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out. You've all got to go. The whole... Uh, The tent of meeting has become unclean by the very presence of the people bringing offerings to have their sins atoned for. That is how holy God is and how unholy we are. Even the altar must be atoned for, the place where the blood is shed and sprinkled for our atonement. Verse 18 
Uh, Then Aaron will come out of the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood, that's for his sin, and some of the goat's blood, that's for the people's sin, and put it on all the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, representing wholeness, to cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. Offerings and sacrifices, they are the right thing to do, and they are effective to a point in showing their obedience to God and his promise of cleansing and forgiving them. But the very nature of a sinful, unclean people approaching a holy God in their own efforts to his holy tent of meeting brings a problem. Even the sacrificial system is tainted by human sinfulness. And so we have the Day of Atonement. A deep, clean, cleansing atonement of all. Of the high priest, of the people, of the tent of meeting, of the altar. And then after all that, the sin of the people, having been atoned for by sacrifice, is sent off far away into the desert, never to be remembered again. The the Day of Atonement reminds us that human-brought sacrifices, our own efforts are not enough to atone. I don't know what you might think we can bring to God to make him look more gently on our sin or on our our unholiness. But, But whatever we think we can bring him so that he might forgive us, whether it's good works or moral behavior or a service or or money or deep prayer lives, they're, they're all good things, but they're still tainted by sin, by the nature of who we are. They cannot atone us. They cannot truly allow us to enter the presence of God. Even the good things we think we try and bring will still need atoning for. And so the Day of Atonement, secondly, also reminds us that sin and its consequence is very, very, very hard to get rid of before God. Uh, We read, don't we, even our righteous acts uh, are like filthy rags before the Lord. The very ground we walk on, everything we touch and do and think is tainted by this uncleanness. And as we even think about the Day of Atonement, you probably see a problem, don't you? Well, if, if the general offerings uh, also need to be atoned for, in a sense, that even what we do then, need, they need to be cleansed on this annual day, the Day of Atonement, well, doesn't that even mean that this day leaves albeit a small, but some kind of uncleanness that needs to be atoned for? The task is unfinished. Even the high priest has to atone for his own sins through sacrifice and then atone for the rest of the people and cleanse the tent and the altar, but he's still there, a human. Doesn't he leave a slight taint of impurity in his approach to God? How can God dwell among his people? That's the big question we've been thinking about in Leviticus. Well, with great difficulty, has to be the answer, doesn't it? The sacrifices taught Israel that sin is a huge problem. Something we quickly forget. But it would have been very clear to an Israelite that God dwelling with them, well, that is no easy matter. 
So the cycle continues. For God to dwell with them, they must bring a blood sacrifice, the death of a substitute. The imagery is clear. And then the Day of Atonement is carried out. Uh, But even that needs to be done every year, year after year, after year, after year. Neither the blood of the first goat nor the scapegoat has fully dealt with the sin of the people. And so the cycle goes on. We haven't even yet mentioned, and we don't have time to, the, the special clothes and the washing of the high priest that he'd have to carry out to represent, uh, figuratively take off even his uncleanness as he goes in and out in verses 4 and 24. We haven't mentioned the incense that he's to burn in the Holy of Holies. To Even though he's in there, he still has to representatively hide through smoke the holiness of God. So the incense smoke covers the glory of God, even when he's in there in verses 12 and 13. It is very, very, very hard to be in the presence of a holy God. So how should we respond to this chapter? Well, what is the challenge of the Day of Atonement? Perhaps you've already thought about it. I wonder if we appreciate just how abhorrent or just how problematic our sin is, our fallen nature, before a holy God? Do we think about his level of holiness and our uh, depravity of sinfulness when we think about our priorities and decisions in life? Whether we prioritise God or our hobbies, whether we prioritise God or our laziness, whether we prioritise God or our internet usage, whether we prioritise God or our work decisions. We're so used to feeling free of the law, as the New Testament rightly tells us, we'll come on to, that we take it as a licence to take uh, liberties with our life and decisions and priorities. But that's not what the New Testament says. We, we looked at Galatians before Leviticus, Galatians 5.13, it's on the screen. Uh, This is exactly Paul's point. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, yes, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. God is holy, and his presence is not achieved lightly or easily. It is very difficult. Don't play with sin, says the Day of Atonement. We need a high priest to approach God and atone for our sins. We can't do it. We need a blood sacrifice, a substitution to fully and perfectly pay for our sin. We can't do it. To atone for us before God. To take his right anger at our sin upon itself fully and finally. We can't do it. We need a scapegoat to take away our sin and to take it so far away even God cannot count it against us any longer. We can't do it. Do not take your sin lightly. Do not take God's holiness lightly, says the Day of Atonement. But the Day of Atonement is not just a challenge. It's also a joy. You see, this, as we've already seen, day promises. It gives us a glimpse of the possibility of being in the holiness of God and not dying. Being alive. How? Well, we've seen it through a high priest, through a substitution, through blood, through the scapegoat, taking our sin away, through Jesus. 
uh, rather than me convince you. I'm just going to read uh, Hebrews chapter 9. It'd be good to look it up. Uh, someone give me a page number when you found it. Hebrews chapter 9. It, chapter 9 is like a mini sermon or commentary on chapter 16 of Leviticus. Um, picks up on all of these things we've been talking about. Uh, Hebrews 9, page number anyone? 1207. Thanks. Let me just read this to you. Starting at verse 1. We're going to read most of the chapter. We'll, we'll miss out a few bits. And think about how this shows us the Lord Jesus who fulfills all that we could not. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. We're looking at that in Leviticus. A tabernacle was set up. We're looking at that. In its first room were the lampstands and the table and its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, of the glory overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. Few, we're saying. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests regularly entered the outer room to carry out their ministry. They're the offerings and sacrifices of Leviticus 1-7. to That's happening all the time. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year. You see the restricted nature of it? I've lost my place. Uh, once a year. And never without blood, the substitution is required, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people had committed in ignorance. That's Leviticus 16. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. We're not there yet. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and the sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. We know all that. They are only a matter of food of drink and food and drink and various ceremonial washings. External regulations applying until the time of the new order. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, the real Holy of Holies. Do you see that? Not the tent anymore, not the inner Holy of Holies, the real place where God is. That is to say, it is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, so obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom, a substitute, an atonement, 
to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. He even fully satisfies the atonement of all those in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. Then move through to verse 22 of Hebrews 9. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. That's what we've been thinking about. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with sacrifices. The earthly copies had to be purified with blood. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment... So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, to atone for us. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, he's done that, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Jesus is our perfect high priest. He is in the Holy of Holies. Uh, Not the representation of it on earth, the real one. In heaven, with his heavenly Father, in his presence, interceding for us, with our holy God. It is his blood that once for all substitute. He changes with ours, so that we might not face the judgment of God. He literally, verse 28 in Hebrews 9, takes away our sin, off into the wilderness, outside the city gates. He is the scapegoat. He opens the impossible promise of life in the very presence of the Holy God to all who repent and believe. Give your lives to him. That is what we have been saved for, says the Day of Atonement. Offer our lives as a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord, not to save us, but because Jesus has fully atoned already. That's the theology. The reality, we read in Mark 15, 37, as Jesus is on the cross, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple to the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, was torn in two from top to bottom. In Christ alone, we can approach the unapproachable God, too wonderful to conceive, and we can enjoy him now and eternally, life in all its fullness. Jesus is our day of atonement. Let us praise him with our lives. Let me pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we praise you for sending us your Son, the Lord Jesus who did the impossible, who atoned for our sin, cleansed us, gives us access to your holiness, 
takes our sin away, never to be remembered, even by you. Forgive us, we pray. Forgive us when we think we can please you with our efforts and our hard work. Instead, may we live our lives as pleasing sacrifices to you, joyful at all you have done and fulfilled for us through the work of Jesus. Thank you that on the cross, he cried aloud for us and tore the the, uh, curtain in two so that we may dwell with you and with him now and forever. Help us believe and help us to give our lives fully to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.